Welcome to the Written by Rich Husick podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you if you're listening on a podcast app or Audible to hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening online, visit the links below to get new stories every week on your favorite platform for free. All I ask is that you share my stories with your friends and followers however you can. And now, let me tell you a story. A story told not with words, but with paints and brushes. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, but some have a value much greater than that. And the story they tell isn't always the truth. All artists are creators. They bring their work to life with every drawing they draw, every song they sing, every tale they tell. But each creation relies on the imagination of the viewer, the listener, or the reader to complete that transformation. Unless, of course, there are other forces at work. George is an artist who normally works in a somewhat ephemeral medium, one of pixels and bits. But when he's asked to apply his talents in a more traditional manner, he finds that even paint on a canvas can be unexpectedly fleeting. Enjoy. Draw me a picture. You want me to do what? George asked the tall, unpleasantly gaunt man standing in the hallway just outside his apartment door. I need a portrait made, he replied. That's what George thought he had said. You want me to draw a picture of you? No, no, not me, he said with a tone of desperation in his voice. He pulled a framed photograph from one of the deep pockets of the long, dark overcoat he wore and offered it to George. Her. George took the photo and looked at it. It was of a strikingly beautiful woman clad in an elegant white dress, perhaps a wedding dress. Her hair was a radiant auburn, more red than brown. Her eyes were green, framed by long, dark lashes, and her skin was nearly pure white, bejeweled by a spray of freckles across her cheeks and the bridge of her nose, with more speckling her bare shoulders. I don't do portraits. I draw comics, George replied, handing the photo back to the man. I'm sorry. Please, he replied. I must have a portrait of her immediately. And you're the only artist I know, well, know of. I overheard you talking about what you do in the laundry room once or twice. He extended a hand. My name is Ambrose, Ambrose Hilton, the man said. I'm George, George replied. Nice to meet you. Ambrose nodded anxiously. I can pay you, he said, getting back to the subject at hand. Surely you can do a simple portrait. Well, I would love to help you, but I'm in the middle of a big project. I really don't have time to take on any commissions right now. I'm sure you could find someone online who does this sort of work. No, no, Ambrose replied vehemently. That will take too long. It must be done immediately. I will pay you $1,000. George paused. $1,000 would come in handy. He had a small stream of income from his online supporters, but the bulk of the money he had raised to crowdfund the project he was working on wouldn't be available for a couple of weeks, and more than one bill was currently overdue. Ambrose grew impatient. Two thousand dollars, he said, his tone now approaching panic. George considered the offer. Two thousand dollars would give him the breathing room he needed to really devote the time his current graphic novel demanded. But before the artist could reply, Ambrose almost shouted, Five thousand dollars! Please, I need your help. George was flabbergasted. Five thousand dollars? He'd never made more than a few hundred dollars from anything before. He saw the desperation in Ambrose's eyes and wondered if the man might go higher, but he also felt a little guilty and somewhat sorry for whatever circumstances had driven him to make such a desperate offer. Okay, George said, as he carried the photo over to his desk, where his computer and digital drawing tablet were. He set the photo next to the monitor. Give me a couple days, I'll see what I can do. No, 
You must do it today, by midnight, Ambrose insisted. By midnight, George asked. And you can't do it on that thing, the man added, waving his hand at the computer. You have to paint it on this. He stepped out into the hallway and returned a second later, dragging a large rectangular item draped in a sheet, almost too tall to fit through the doorway, into the apartment. Ambrose leaned it against the wall next to George's desk, then pulled the sheet away. It was a large framed painting of an empty room. George looked at the massive canvas. It was oddly hypnotic, almost photorealistic, as if he could step into the room it portrayed. It looked like a library, at least there were shelves of books in the background. Also, a table littered with various arcane items, and an ornate Persian rug covered the floor. I don't paint, George said. I thought you knew that. I'm a digital artist. I work on my computer. You must know how to paint, Ambrose replied. George had taken several painting classes in art school, but that was almost ten years ago. Kind of, he admitted. But even if I could, I don't have any supplies, and it's been years. I have everything you'll need, Ambrose assured him. He disappeared out into the hallway again and returned with a large trunk, which he dragged into the middle of George's apartment. He closed the door, then fished a key from a pocket on the inside of his overcoat and turned it in the lock, securing the chest. He flipped open the lid and then pulled out a set of extending drawers, like the tackle box George's father had once owned. There had to be a hundred small jars of various pigments, all lined up in chromatic order. There was also an assortment of brushes, an artist's palette, and tins of paint thinner. George stared down at the assortment of supplies. It looked ancient, not at all like the paints he had used that you squeezed out of a tube. The brush's handles were ornately carved. The bristles, he could tell, were some sort of animal hair. Mr. Hilton, I appreciate your generous offer, but I don't think I'm the man for the job. Seven thousand dollars, Ambrose said. He pulled a stack of cash from yet another pocket and placed it on George's desk. Here's one thousand now. I'll bring you the rest tonight. You must help me. You must, he implored. The artist I originally hired backed out on me, and this has to be done before midnight. George looked at the stack of money on his desk. His bank balance had never been that high. He could afford to get a new computer, a new tablet, and pay his rent and overdue utilities for months with that money. But a full-size portrait? In oil paint? By midnight? Please try, Ambrose begged. I have faith in you. You can do this. George glanced at the painting of the empty room, and at the photo of the woman on his desk then back at the painter's chest. There was something about the collection of paints and brushes that called to him. He picked up one of the brushes and held it in his hand. There was an almost iridescent sheen to the bristles. What kind of hair was it? Thank you, Ambrose said as he started heading for the door. I have so much to do before midnight. I do have one request, though. I want to watch you finish it. I want to be here when you apply the final brush strokes. It's very important to me that I be present when it's completed. Okay. George replied without looking up. He held the brush as he would as if he were painting with it, and an almost electrical sensation traveled through his hand and up his arm. Thank you, thank you, thank you, the tall man repeated as he let himself out of the apartment. George looked at the painting. He could almost see the woman standing there, one hand resting on the desk, the other gently caressing the golden locket that hung around her neck just above her breasts. He set the brush down, then extracted the photo of the woman from the wood and glass enclosing it, and taped it to the frame of the large painting. He was suddenly filled with confidence. Yes, he could do this. He checked the chest and was glad to see there was plenty of white paint he could use to render the dress and her porcelain skin. He opened one of the jars and scooped out some of the bright pigment with a thin flat blade and plopped it onto the palette. He scanned the other colors and picked the ones that he knew 
He just absolutely knew were the right ones to capture the hues in her hair and eyes. Then he picked up the brush again, and that same electric feeling shot through him, energizing him. If he had been watching himself work or viewing a recording of it, George wouldn't have recognized himself. It was as if he was possessed, like someone was standing inside him, guiding his arm, choosing the right brush for the right stroke in the right place. Before he knew it, he had painted her entire body and most of her head. Her elegant form took on the same photorealistic depth as the background. Her hair looked as if it was almost subtly moving in a gentle breeze. Her lips were slightly parted in a mischievous smile, and her perky nose was perfectly symmetrical and made even more beautiful by the band of freckles splashed across it. He painted the eyes last, those hypnotic green eyes. George forgot all about Ambrose's request that he be present when he finished the portrait. There was nothing that could have stopped him. He was compelled to complete her. Two perfect dabs of the darkest black paint created pupils in those entrancing eyes, pupils that opened into something beyond the ebon pigment. The artist lost himself in those eyes. They were so real, beyond anything he had done before. He glanced at the clock. It was almost six. He had been painting for nine hours straight, and although he was hungry, it was sleep he needed more. He picked up the sheet that had been draped over the painting previously, covered the portrait, walked the eight steps to his bed, and fell asleep the moment his head hit the pillow. He awoke with a start. Had he heard a noise? He got up, his hunger now insisting he get something to eat. He made a pit stop in the bathroom, then shuffled to the kitchenette in one corner of the apartment, yawning and stretching. He opened the fridge and stared at the collection of condiments, grabbed a can of Mountain Dew, pulled the tab, and took a long, satisfying drink. Then he opened the freezer, pulled out a hot pocket, and stuck it in the microwave. Something was wrong. There was a nagging feeling in the back of his mind, something he had seen out of the corner of his eye. He turned around and looked at the canvas leaning against the wall next to his desk. The sheet was gone, and the canvas showed a painting of an empty room. George dropped the can of soda and a green, fizzling puddle grew on the floor. What the hell? he exclaimed. Had he dreamed it all? No, it had been real. So real. So powerful. He could still remember the feeling of the paint dragging across the canvas. The smell of it on the palette. He saw the sheet balled up on the sofa. How had it gotten there? He glanced at the clock over his desk. A few minutes past nine. There was no way he could finish before Ambrose's deadline. He'd have to give the money back. George snatched the sheet off the sofa. The woman, he revealed, gasped. George screamed. The woman screamed. They both screamed. The microwave beeped. Who are you? What are you doing here? George asked as he stepped away from her. His bare foot hit a patch of Mountain Dew and he slipped and fell hard. Am I in hell? She asked. Hell? George asked back. He looked around the apartment. It was a little messy, but still. I am dead, am I not? I remember dying. I remember wasting away in a hospital bed and closing my eyes for the last time, she said. And then I woke up. The woman uncurled herself from the fetal position she had been balled up in on the sofa. She sat up and stood cautiously. George couldn't believe it. It was her, the woman from the photograph. The woman he had painted, here in the flesh. She wore the same white gown. The golden locket hung around her neck. Her radiant hair fell lightly on her shoulders, and those eyes... Those beautiful green eyes. He even recognized every tiny freckle he had meticulously applied to her milky skin. Had he done this? Had he brought her to life? Was there some kind of magic in those brushes, those paints? Had Ambrose known this would happen? Is that why he had been so insistent that he be here when George finished? Who are you? The woman asked. I'm George, he replied. 
He got to his feet, rubbing his tailbone. Who are you? My name is Jessica, she said. How did I get here? I think I painted you here, George confessed, turning his gaze to the painting of the empty room. That's where I woke up, Jessica said as she crossed the room on long, slender legs that seemed to barely touch the floor. She reached out toward the painting, expecting her hand to pass right through, but it stopped when it hit the canvas. How is this possible? she asked. I don't know, George answered, but I think you and me both have a lot of questions for Ambrose. Jessica gasped. Ambrose? He's behind this? He must be. He's the one who hired me to paint you and brought that canvas and the paints. She became alarmed. He mustn't find me. You have to protect me. From what? George asked. He's a little weird, but he didn't seem dangerous to me. But he is, Jessica insisted. Whatever he has done is only so he can possess me, to own me. He was my lover once. Ambrose? George had a hard time picturing the tall, gangling, plain man with such a beautiful woman. Yes, at first he was kind, but then his true nature came through. He kept me a prisoner. I wasn't allowed to see anyone else. He was so jealous, so mean. She started to sob. George didn't know what to do. He took a few steps toward her, then she closed the distance and threw her arms around him, squeezing him tight as she cried. George put a hand on her back and gently patted it. Don't worry, everything is going to be all right, he promised. What else was he going to say? Jessica withdrew and wiped away her tears with the back of her hand. George quickly grabbed a couple tissues from the box on his desk and offered them to her. Thank you, she said as she dabbed at her cheeks. Where is he? she asked, suddenly afraid. Is he nearby? He's probably downstairs in his apartment. He lives on the basement level. I don't really know him that well. We've shared an elevator a couple times, but he honestly didn't seem like, you don't know him the way I do, she cautioned. Well, that's true, George agreed. I guess this explains why he wanted me to wait for him to come back just before midnight to finish, George said, remembering Ambrose's request. Jessica gasped. Oh my, so it is true. He is a master of the dark arts. He told me I would never be able to escape him, even in death. He found a way to bring me back, and now it's going to happen all over again. She started sobbing once more. George took her by the elbow and led her to the sofa. Please don't let him, she pleaded as they sat down. Please, you have to help me. How? he asked. What can I do? Shouldn't you go to the police? Jessica looked at the artist as if he was crazy. The police? And tell them what? That I've been dead for... What year is it? 2022, George replied. Thirteen years, she uttered in disbelief. They'll think I'm crazy. They'll lock me up. And then he'll find me and take me. He'll never let me go. She dabbed at her tears again with a tissue. Oh, if only Marcus was here. He would know what to do. Marcus? George asked. Who's that? Marcus Fairchild. The man I was with before, Ambrose. Well, let's call him. Jessica shook her head. Her face wrinkled up as she started crying even harder. We can't. Marcus died before I did, in a horrible accident. I always believed Ambrose was responsible. She reached for the locket hanging around her neck and opened it. Inside was a two-inch tall photograph of a man wearing a white suit, the type of outfit a groom might wear at a wedding. Although the photo was tiny, George recognized the background to be the same as the one Jessica was pictured with. Oh, Marcus, I miss you so much. George struggled to think. Maybe he could get her to a woman's shelter or something. Before he could speak, Jessica's distraught visage lit up with hope. She smiled at George. You, she said to George, you can save me. 
Me? I'm just a guy who draws comics on the web. You need a lawyer or a private detective. Somebody like that. You brought me back, she reminded him. That wasn't me. It was the paints, the brushes. She held up the locket so the picture of Marcus was facing George. You can bring him back, too. What? George asked. No, no way. I'm not doing that again. Oh, please, she said, those green eyes beckoning. You're my only hope. If I can come back, then Marcus can come back, and we can have the life we were supposed to. George looked at the photo. It was so tiny. I don't think I can, he said. That's such a small picture. I mean, when I painted you, I had something with some detail in it. I can't even tell what color his eyes are. They're gray, she said. Such beautiful gray eyes. Then an idea occurred to George. Wait a second, let me try something. He grabbed a digital camera from his desk. It had a super high-res sensor. Maybe he could blow it up enough. Can I have that for a second? He asked Jessica. She took the locket from around her neck and handed it to him. George placed it on his desk, then zoomed in on the man within, hoping the camera would be able to compensate for his shaking hands. He checked the result on the small screen on the back of the camera, then fished out the memory card and slid it into a reader attached to his computer. A few clicks of his mouse later, he had the image blown up on the monitor. He could clearly tell the man's eyes were gray. His hair was jet black, his skin deeply tanned yet youthful. Jessica clapped her hands in delight. I knew you could do it. You're so clever, she said, grabbing George into a hug and planting a kiss on his cheek. He blushed. You must hurry. It has to be done by midnight, she urged. Midnight? Why? Isn't that when you said Ambrose is coming back? Yes, but it took me nearly nine hours to do yours. The smile on Jessica's face turned into a disappointed frown. You have to. You have to at least try. George got lost in those green eyes again. The brushes seemed to call out to him. He loaded the palette with the colors he needed to get started and grabbed the largest brush. It seemed to charge him up with an energy he'd never felt before. His hand moved in large, broad strokes. Tiny gestures introduced subtle detail, and the shape of a man quickly appeared on the canvas. A man wearing a white wedding suit, his hair as dark as the night and eyes as gray as an oncoming storm. George lost track of the time. He was a man possessed with a level of skill he'd only ever dreamed of having. When he was almost done, he took a step back and was surprised to find himself soaked in sweat. He glanced at the clock. Ten minutes till midnight. Had it only been less than three hours? It felt like he'd been painting all night. Oh, George, it's perfect, Jessica told him. Finish it. We're almost out of time. George dipped the very tip of his brush into the black paint and dabbed two identical circles of it in the center of each of Marcus's gray eyes. Portals to his very soul. George felt a light kiss on his cheek. You did it, Jessica said. I knew you could. He looked over at Jessica, expecting to see her smiling, happy face. But instead, she had a fierce expression, primal and lustful. She was staring directly at the portrait of her long-lost lover. George looked back at the painting and dropped the brush he was holding when it began to move. Marcus blinked his eyes, then turned his head from side to side. He lifted his hands in front of his face in wonderment. He mouthed something, but the sound didn't make it out of the painting. Then the imposing figure stepped forward, crossing the Persian rug and stepping out onto the dirty carpet of George's apartment. Jessica, he said aloud. His voice was deep and full of promises yet to keep. Marcus, she answered, throwing her arms around him giving him a long, passionate kiss. There was a knock at the door. The couple parted. It's Ambrose, Jessica said, as if it was a warning. Ambrose, Marcus repeated. Then he noticed George standing a few steps away. 
Who's this? That's George. He's the artist. Marcus smiled. Indeed he is. Ambrose chose well. Wait, what? George asked. Something about what he said didn't make sense. How did Marcus know Ambrose would choose an artist to bring Jessica back to life? Answer the door, Marcus commanded. George nodded, then crossed to the door and opened it, forgetting all the warnings Jessica had given him about how vile the tall man was. Is it ready? Ambrose asked, a hopeful smile on his face. How does she look? George stepped aside, and Ambrose's expression shifted from joy to fear. Jessica! Marcus! he asked. How? Marcus laughed. That was not at all what George had expected. What have you done? Ambrose asked the artist. I told you to wait. I'm sorry, George replied. I didn't do it on purpose. I just got caught up in it. Ambrose turned to Jessica. But you told me you wanted to be with me. That if I was able to bring you back on this night, we would have the rest of our lives together. And you're here. You're healthy. Why? Oh, you poor man, Jessica said, dripping with pity. You played your part. But did you really think I would ever want to spend one more second with you than I absolutely needed to to get what I wanted? I don't understand, George said. I thought you were afraid of him. Afraid of Ambrose? Is that what you told him, my dear? Marcus asked Jessica. It did persuade my new friend George to paint your portrait before midnight. George looked at Ambrose, who seemed shocked and surprised. She told me you were a warlock or something, and you kept her prisoner and wanted to possess her forever. Ambrose shook his head. She told me the same thing about Marcus. She begged me on her deathbed to get that chest and that canvas and then hire an artist to paint her portrait on it on this day before midnight, and we'd be together forever. Yes, well, slight change in plans, Jessica said, clutching Marcus as he placed his arm around her. Ambrose looked to George. Why didn't you wait for me? He didn't have any choice on that account. He wasn't exactly painting alone, Marcus explained casting a glance down at the artist's chest. George looked at it as well and saw something he hadn't noticed before, a monogram in the bottom left corner, the initials M.F., Marcus Fairchild. George wondered if he actually had been possessed. You'll never get away with this, Ambrose promised. Ah, but we already have, Marcus gloated. The first time around, we discovered Jessica's illness too late, and I, unfortunately, met my untimely end trying to cure her. But there was always Plan B. You should always have a Plan B. Things never go the way you expect them to. And you, Ambrose, always had a fondness for Jessica. We knew we could count on you to carry out our plans, albeit unwittingly. The tricky part was the timing. Would you follow through on her request to paint her portrait on this particular date so far in the future? The canvas only works in this manner only once every hundred years or so, and then only for a day. Jessica promised me that you were so infatuated with her that you would be a dependable custodian for the means of our reunion. Ambrose roared in anger. He charged the couple, but Marcus deftly drew a pistol from a holster hidden under his jacket and fired. Twice. The tall man clutched at his chest, then started to fall, right toward the painting of the once again now empty room. Marcus waved his hand at the painting, mumbling a few unrecognizable syllables, and instead of crashing through the canvas, Ambrose fell into the room. George looked closely. His neighbor's lifeless body, splayed out on the Persian rug, was now part of the painting. He looked over at Marcus, lifting his hands into the air in surrender, praying he wouldn't meet the same fate. Oh, put your hands down, Marcus commanded. I'm not going to hurt you. George put his hands down, 
His eyes wandered toward a poster on his wall of a young Marilyn Monroe. Sorry, Marcus said. It won't work again. But keep painting. He looked Jessica up and down and spun her around, smiling. You've got a real talent. The couple walked out of the apartment, closing the door behind them. George collapsed into his desk chair and brought up the project he was working on before Ambrose had pounded on his door earlier that day. He eyed the stack of money that was sitting next to the monitor. In all the excitement, he forgot that Ambrose still owed him $6,000. He looked over at the painting of his dead neighbor and saw that spilling out of one of his coat pockets was a stack of new $100 bills. Thank you for listening to Draw Me a Picture on the Written by Rich Hosek podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this story. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to my weekly audio stories on your favorite podcast app or download them on Audible. Give me a like or five stars and a quick review, and most importantly, share my weekly tales with your friends or anyone who enjoys audiobooks. Speaking of audiobooks, if you're a fan of the paranormal, I am currently presenting the audio version of my novel, Near Death, a rainy day investigation that I co-wrote with my television writing partner, Arnold Rudnick, and our collaborator, parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach, on this very podcast. New chapters are posted weekly. And if you're looking for other original story podcasts, check out As Read By Me at, not surprisingly, asreadbyme.com. They have an eclectic mix of fiction, poetry, and essays that are sure to keep you entertained, all read by the authors. You can find out more about me and find all my links at richhosick.com. And don't forget to check out my books on Amazon and follow me there to make sure you get notified of my new releases. Thanks again and all the very best.